Wow, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here. Because I've known about this church for, well, a lot of years. Um, I knew Brian Jackson reasonably well. Anybody remember Brian? Back in the day, yeah, yeah. And uh, Brian asked me if I'd come and speak at the opening of the former building. So I got this vague memory of being in Oswald Twistle. And ever since then, I seem to have just driven past on the M65 every time, rather than stopping. And, uh, but I've tracked your, your progress and known some of the leaders at different stages over the years. And just more recently getting to know Craig and Deborah, know Pete and Katrina reasonably well, because they he used to be a student of mine. At the Abundant Life Leadership Academy, 20 years ago, <laughs> flipping heck, lost all his that. No, he didn't have it then either. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really good to be with you. Um, I feel really at home. This is my kind of church because we're ordinary muck and bullets people. We're grassroots people trying our best to live for Jesus in the north of England, reach the community God's placed us in, and, uh, and that's always been my, my passion. I'm a Bradford lad, born and bred. Um, don't hold that against me. Um, these days, Leeds is my home church, uh, North Church in Leeds. And uh, <clears throat> I spend most of my ministry time these days serving Jesus, helping him build his church wherever he wants me. So I tend to be in different places every weekend, which I'm loving doing. I've got four kids. I've got ten grandkids. So I'm a blessed man. Because <clears throat> the grandkids... Soothe all the damage that the kids did, you know. <laughs> uh, so I'm a family guy. When Craig asked me to come and share with you today, um, immediately I knew what to preach. It's funny how when you get asked, very often I find that God just drops a theme in your heart. Um, and the theme was around the story of Nehemiah and that sort of stuff. But... Um, as I kind of began to think through the material and maybe, well, what aspect of that story should I focus in on? God reminded me of an incident that happened back in about 2007, 2008. At that time, I was one of the associate pastors at Abundant Life in Bradford. And because I was a chartered building surveyor before I was in ministry, I got this kind of building background. So every time there's a building project going on, who gets asked to project manage it? Steve does. So I was navigating this process. We decided to extend the building we had. It was a couple of million quids worth of project and uh, a lot of prayer, a lot of giving, a lot of all the momentum you have to get the church into. And the, the thing that I remembered was the day I got a call from the architect to say that the contract needed signing. Uh, I said, fine, that's fine. He says, right, I'll bob in later. He said, I'll bring it with me, let's get it signed, and we're away to go. Well, this was a good day. He arrives at the building, gets sent up to my, my office, and he, he sort of wandered in. No jacket, nothing in his hands. He just liked, it was a summer day, so I just wandered in. So I shook his hand and said, great to meet you again. Uh, he said, oh, weren't you bringing in the contract, observing he'd got nothing with him? He said, oh, it's coming. And just then, behind him, trudged one of the young guys from his office with three massive boxes, each one like a box of photocopier paper, about a foot thick. And these kids staggered in. And doom, dropped these boxes on the desk and went, that's one for you, 
and there's one for the architect for us and there's one for the builder. Please sign the top of each. And I looked at this contract and obviously we had a laugh about it. I said, yeah, now I know why I'm paying you such a lot of money. Uh, You know, I'm not going to read all this, but in this contract, there was every plan, every bill of quantity, every amount of concrete, screw, nail, insulation, anything you could think of to do with that building was all in there. This was like the governing document. So we had a laugh about it, assigned the top, off you went. Clean forgot all about it. We get into the building, phase, and every morning I'd arrive at the building and all the contractors are there with their high-vis jackets and their plastic hats on. And I love it. It's like, yeah. We're extending, we're going to have rooms for teaching and we're going to have the the kindergarten that we wanted and all this stuff was going on. One day I drove up, about three quarters of the way in. So the the frame was up, it wasn't quite watertight but there's wires hanging out everywhere. It seemed quiet that morning, but I didn't think anything of it. Just went to my office, phone rings, architect, Steve, we need to have a conversation. Okay. Are you sat down? Well, when anybody asks you if you sat down, you know, you know what's coming, don't you? Are you sat down? I said, uh, yeah, come on. What's happening? He said, well, you may have noticed it's a bit quiet on site this morning. I said, I did, actually. He said, well, the bad news is the builder went bust yesterday and is not coming back. Well, I know what that means. Disaster. So I'm like, my mind is starting to race. But hang on a minute, it's not watertight. What about all the money we've spent? What about the money they've already, we've already given them? What about, what about, what about? Every time a contract goes wrong, it always costs more to fix. So I'm, uh, he says, calm down. He said, do you remember when I brought that contract to your office to sign? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, well, that contract is now going to save your life. Those the very words are used. He says, it's now going to save your life. And I went, oh, yeah? He said, trust me, that was a really good contract. He says, and it's, it empowers me to do lots of things which hopefully will mean we don't skip a beat. Oh, now, now faith is coming back a little bit. <clears throat> Long story short, he was right. We ended up with a bit of a gap. We lost time but we didn't lose money. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Uh, the building got up and it was done. Why did I remember that? <laughs> that contract, that, that building agreement, if I can call it that, genuinely saved us a lot of money and time and effort. God took me in my thinking to Nehemiah. And I thought to myself, I wonder if the builders who rebuilt the walls with him, had a contract. I'm sure they didn't sign a, <laughs> you know, a big heap of paper and so on, but were there some implicit terms that galvanized them as a team of builders? Because the contract between me and my builder was helpful. But I wonder, when we build church, when we build the city of God, when we build a temple as he was and the Jerusalem back then, are there these terms of agreement which kind of save our lives, mean that it's successful? So I want to talk to you this morning about 
the building agreement that I see in the story of Nehemiah. Because as I've reflected on it, I've come to the conclusion there, were some, there was some agreement amongst those builders which meant it was a success. And we need to have the same kind of terms of agreement as we build church today for it to be a success. You see, they were rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. Now, back in that day, Jerusalem was not in a good place. But Jerusalem was the center of God's people. So if, if back in those days, let's say you'd heard about the God of the Jews, you'd heard about the God of Israel, thought, hmm, sounds interesting. They say he's almighty, they say he's powerful, they say he's good. I will go and explore and I'll find out what the God of Israel is all about. Where does he live? You know, how do I find him? And people would point me to Jerusalem. They'd say, Jerusalem is where his temple is. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, which is the, the representative of him on earth. And that's where his priests are. So go to Jerusalem and you'll find the God of Israel. So I pack my bag. I go to Jerusalem. And when I get there, it's a heap of rubble. Then what do I think? I think so much for the God of Israel. He can't even protect his own walls. His temples are ruined. I mean, what a wasted trip. This is a disaster. And the reputation of the God of Israel goes right down the pan because of the state of his dwelling. These days in the New Covenant, where does God live? He lives in you. He lives in me. Peter says that we are each living stones being built together into a spiritual dwelling that God dwells in by his Holy Spirit. Jesus said when two or three of us gather, he is here in the midst. Jesus is here with us and he dwells in the local church in a very special way. So he's in each one of us, but the power is in our unity. The power is in our agreement and in our togetherness. So as we build the spiritual house of the local church, it's a parallel of what went back on back there with Nehemiah. So we look at these Old Testament stories and we pull principles from them through to help us build today. So that's what I want to do. As I look at the story, I see there a few things that I think really do help us build church well. The first is all to do with the reason Nehemiah actually did help to rebuild Jerusalem. And if I can put it simply, he built because he felt something. He felt something. And I do believe that if we're going to build great local church today, there has to be an implicit agreement amongst all of us, all the living stones who are being built together in this place, that we all feel something. In fact, we all feel the same thing. And what it is we're feeling is we all feel what God feels. Because God feels something for this church, for this community. In the same way as he felt something for Jerusalem. Let me just take you to the story. Nehemiah was in Babylon, a long way from Jerusalem. He was in captivity. 
and people had come to visit him from Jerusalem. And so he inquired. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, and any one of my brothers came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So what's going on, guys? How's it going back in Jerusalem? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. You see, when God's house gets in a mess, it gets into trouble and disgrace. And that has to be fixed. And that's what we begin to feel. He said, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates are being burned with fire. Now look at this. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. He felt something. For some days I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, and he launches into a long prayer. That he heard. God's dwelling's in a mess. His reputation's in tatters. Ah. I think what he felt was what God felt. He started to get on him. Not in his human emotions just, but in his spirit. Well, that got on him. And next day he goes to work. He worked for the king. He was a cupbearer in, um, in the palace. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. So he's one of the servants, cupbearer to the king. Look what he says. He says, I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? It's like, come on, give me a reason for this glumness. We don't have glum people around the king. We have happy, cheerful, uplifting people around the king. He says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, says Nehemiah. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king says, hmm, well, what is it you want? So I prayed to the God of heaven, throws up a quick prayer. (laughs) One of those silent ones you throw up. And I answered the king, well, if it pleases the king and if your servants found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. And then begins a long conversation around how they can do that, how he wants to empower them. He sends them back. He equips them for the thing. (laughs) Sometimes you feel what God feels for a person and you just know, God, show me how I can help them. Give me a word for them. Here we've got a collective thing. Nehemiah's got like, Lord, I just want to fix Jerusalem. I mean, he couldn't do it on his own. He knew that. He's going to need resources, money, power, a great team, people, workers. But I just want to fix it. I believe we live in days where God wants his church to be thoroughly fixed, to be beautiful, to be the place that he radiates from that his message goes out from to touch the ends of the earth. A place that is attractive, that when people come into our doors and into our community and our fellowship, they feel the presence of Jesus because he dwells here. They see the life change in each of us and they're inspired by it to reach for it themselves. I think feeling what God feels together 
It's kind of the first implicit term of agreement between the builders back in Nehemiah. And I would suggest it's the same for us today with our churches. I've been building church for a lot of years, <laughs> as Craig implied. And I've seen church splits, I've seen divisions, I've seen fallouts, I've seen all the nasty stuff, and I've seen some awesome stuff. I've seen churches built from 300 to 3,000 over a period of years. I've seen some amazing things. And right at the heart of it is a principle. The builders are in agreement. The best thing you will ever give the leaders of this local church is your spirit of agreement. Doesn't mean you'll always agree technically with everything they do or think or say because we're all different. But there's a spirit of agreement we bring together. We say our agreement is around what God wants. What does God want Brave Church to be and to look like? And so you look at your vision and all that jazz. Uh, and you know, when you hear the preaching, your spirit goes, yeah, I'm in. I agree. When you've been away on holidays for a couple of weeks, you come back and you, you want to know, well, what went on while I was away? Because you feel for it. You're part of what God's doing here. Now, if you don't feel anything, you think, well, I'll just come. I can I just come and I sit here and I enjoy the worship and a great cup of coffee. I would urge you, please pray that God will open your heart to feel what he feels. Because it's people that feel what he feels that become part of the mission with us. They feel the urgency to, to keep us cohesive as a church and then all that Jesus has bound together reaches out to reach the world. And the agreement, the power of that agreement make churches indestructible. They make them the vehicle of the advance of the kingdom in their generation like nothing else. So I think there's a... The first implicit thing I see is we all feel what God feels. The second one is a bit more practical. Because Nehemiah gets, back, gets to Jerusalem and does a reconnoiter and works out what needs to be done. I'm sure his heart sank a few times when he saw the extent of the work. <clears throat> but eventually he gets team and builders and they start to get involved. And as you read through the book, you get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah is one of those chapters that when you're doing your Bible reading, you skip, you're sort of tempted to skip over. There's a few chapters like that, if we're honest, in the Bible, aren't there? You get thinking, what's this here for? And jump on to the next. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a bit like that, because it's just a list of names. It's just a list of the builders. It starts at the sheep gate, and it goes in a big circle saying, this person built next to that person, built next to that person, next to that person, goes in a big circle all the way around and finishes with the sheep gate. So you've got this sense of, oh yeah, so these are the guys that actually did the work. I've been looking at it afresh. And what jumped off the page at me is there wasn't a single professional builder involved in that building. They rebuilt the walls, but there wasn't a professional. In fact, when you begin to read it down, it says things like this. Like verse 8 says, Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. The goldsmith. Why is he getting involved in rebuilding the walls? Because he felt what God felt. And he was going to get pitch in. And he was going to get involved. And even though he wasn't a qualified builder, yeah, he could lift stones. He could get some training from others. And he could become part of the building team. He carries on. Uh, so he repaired the next section. Then Hanani Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. 
perfume makers. I mean, I want the wall to stand up, not smell nice. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Verse 12 talks about how Shalom, son of Halasheth, ruler of half a district of Jerusalem. So here we've got some local government officers getting involved here. Um, he repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. See, the girls are in it as well as the guys. Yeah. It's not just, you know, come on, we're all in this together. And so we could go on. If you read that chapter, there are merchants, there are shopkeepers, there are rulers, there are priests, there are, there are all the spiritual leaders. That, it's ordinary people. That's what jumped off the page. And I think there needs to be an implicit agreement, therefore, amongst us, which says something like, we will all get involved in the building. We'll all get involved. Where do you get involved? You can pop up point two, please, on the thing. Thanks. We'll all get involved in the building. Where do you get involved? Well, building church does not begin on a Sunday morning. It doesn't. It's not about coming to church, is it? Building church starts right where I live in my street. And actually, I see that in this chapter because it tells me that in a number of places that this chap made repairs opposite his house. It says, above the horse gate, the priest made repairs each in front of his own house. See, rebuilding the city started right where they live. For us today, building church starts right where you live because where you live is where the raw materials are. The next living stones live next door to me and next door to you. The next living stones are in the office with me, in the classroom with me. Human beings who are still in the quarry of this world, yet to be blasted out to become a living stone, and then shaped to be part of building God's house, starts at home. This building team went full circle, there were no gaps. Everybody built next to someone else. It was cohesive it was beautiful. There were no isolated builders off doing their own thing. There's a sense of cohesion. We're all involved in the building. We're going to do this together. And that spirit of agreement I mentioned earlier, that's kind of how it tends to manifest itself. My question to you would be, how are you involved in helping us build? Where, where, what are you bringing to the party? What are you bringing to the building process? Because God wants us all to be involved. I've got a, um, a friend, very old now, he's up in his 80s. I went to see him some while ago. Uh, he didn't get out of the house. He's housebound, but he's a man of God. And I love going to see him because just the wisdom of the years and his spirit is beautiful. And I'm getting old myself now. I've worked out old people either get more godly or more crotchety. <laughs> Tends to go one way or the other. Anyway, that's another subject. But I, he's, he's one of the godly ones. So I go to him. And he says, hi, Jack, how are you doing? Oh, Steve, good to see you, boy. Good to see you, boy. I'm always a boy with him, that's good. <laughs> he says, ah, wow, I've been around the world this morning. <laughs> so I says, come on, Jack. He says, no, no. He says, let me show you. And his grandson had been around and shown him how to use Google Earth on his iPad. Right? And if you've got Google Maps, you'll know what it's like. It's all sort of linked in. So he says, I went to Singapore. And what he'd done is he'd, he'd typed in Singapore, gone ding. And of course, then you go to the satellite image and you're above Singapore. 
Well, he'd been to Singapore multiple times in his life. He'd seen some remarkable things done by God for people in Singapore. And so he's, he's showing me, look, Steve, you just do this and you get, isn't it amazing, Steve? I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, he said, and then I went to Australia. I went to the other side of the world. He says, but I didn't just go. He says, oh, God was reminding me of the great times we had. I've been praying for brothers and sisters out there. He said, then I remembered we have a missionary in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He says, so I thought, I'll find where that is. And I went there as well. And I've been praying for brother so-and-so, so-and-so in the Congo. That's getting involved in the building when you're housebound. It's age-specific. It's age-appropriate. And it's, it's ability-appropriate. Jesus only wants you to be who you can be. But if you'll bring your gift and your wisdom and your interests and your callings to the party, you become one of those builders that help us build something really special. And Ephesians 4.16 says, From him, that's from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. With the church, the body, what we're doing together, needs us all hands on deck. There's a sense in which I guess, you know, agreement is easy to make. You say, yes, I agree. I am with you. But agreement means nothing until we've got our hands dirty at another level. So I'll encourage you, get stuck in. Become part of what we're doing together here. I spotted a third implicit agreement, which in some ways leads to a, an explicit one, but it was simply this. <clears throat> it struck me. This team of builders who were in agreement together got the walls up in what you might say was record time. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 says that the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Like, whoa. And it says when our enemies heard about it, they lost their self-confidence because they realized this work has been done with the help of our God. So we've built this thing, God's been with us. Wow, fabulous. What struck me was this. Churches are pretty good at projects like rebuilding the walls. Now, if you decide you're going to start a new ministry or open a new project, generally churches are really good because we cast a vision, we all pull together, you know, the, the, the keen ones pull along the reluctant ones, we all give the money that we should give and we, we get to where we want to be. And there's a sense in which what we're responding to is God's word to us. Because the leaders will have said, we believe God wants us to start this new ministry. So it's a word to you. Maybe that ministry needed a minibus. Think, yeah, we need 20 grand for a decent minibus. So you sell it to the church, the church give. One Sunday you're coming out there on the car park, there's the new minibus, and you all go, yay! Churches are good at projects. And that's because there's an agreement we generate in the moment that says we will respond to God's word as one. We're going to do this together. I may not be serving on that ministry project, but I'm part of it because I gave, I prayed for it, and so on and so forth. But as you read the Nehemiah story, there is another word that they all agreed to respond to in agreement as one. And that simply was the word of God the law in those days. Today for us, it's the scriptures, the new covenant, the new testament. And 
it dawns on them at a point in the story that the reason Jerusalem was a mess was because we'd not been living God's way. We'd backslidden. We'd messed up, so we ended up in exile, overrun by our enemies. The equivalent happens for churches. They forget to walk in God's word and ways. They begin to compromise on God's truth. They begin to stand for things of this world more than things of the kingdom, and they get in a muddle, and they end up ravaged and potentially in exile. What God needs is a people who will say, we're going to go right back and live by the book. We're going to be a people of the scripture, a people of God's word, because the people of the word are going to be strong. Now, I haven't got time to show you it all, but if you read chapter 8, basically, this is where it all happens. It dawns on them, man, we want to make sure we keep the word, not just the project word for frilly things, but the core word of living God's way. And the people urge Ezra, the priest, to open the law and to teach them. Interesting. It was the people asking their leaders to open the Bible and teach them. It wasn't the leader saying, guys, come on, get to church. Get to prayer meeting. Come on, you must be there. It was the other other way around. The energy was in the people. It's like you guys saying to Craig and Deborah, guys, teach us. Show us how to live. How do we navigate these complex issues that touch us in society today? Help us to see God's word and ways. And that energy brought them to a place where eventually, in chapter 9, verse 38, they say this. It says, in view of all this, and all this is basically not walking God's way and deciding the will. It says, in view of all this, we're going to make a binding agreement. We're going to put it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests are going to affix their seals to it. And they actually did sign a piece of paper. They signed an agreement that said, we agree, we will keep God's word. It's effectively what was happening. They made a covenant, an agreement to keep the covenant. I'm not suggesting that in our day, you all need to sign up a piece of paper. But in spirit, we do. In, in spirit, there needs to be a sense of what holds us together. Building this great church is a spirit of agreement that we all bring that spirit and then we begin to practicalize it. And it starts with us all feeling what God feels. And then it begins, it moves over into because we feel it, we'll get busy. So we're all involved in the building. And as you navigate all the different issues that life throws at you, you say, and we all agree as God speaks to us. We'll respond as one. And when it comes to issues of life, we'll respond as one. It's fabulous, that chapter, because in verse 17 it says, there was great joy amongst them. I want to be in a church where there's lots of joy, don't you? (laughs) The joy of life change, the joy of transformation, the joy of advance. And they had the equivalent of that because they'd agreed to keep that word. Time has gone, but I want to close with one last thought. After that great moment of agreement, Nehemiah thinks, job done. Awesome. And he goes back to Babylon. Um, Some years later, probably 12 or 13 years later, he returns just to see how things are going. And what he finds is that the 
Jerusalem people are backsliding again a bit. It's like, uh-oh, what's going on here? They're not observing the Sabbath like they said they would. Oh, wow. Some of them have intermarried and they said they wouldn't and their kids can't even speak the language of Judah. What's going on? Oh, my. They're not bringing the tithes and their offerings in anymore. So the, the priests have had to go back and work in the fields and he sees things beginning to unravel. So he gets very feisty. Now, I wouldn't suggest for a minute that you respond like, like he did, but let me read you a few of the words of what he did. If I can find it. Da, 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 da. He says, what is this wicked thing you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath. So he gets feisty in language. In verse 25 of chapter 13, he says, I rebuked them and I called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and I pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to do this. <laughs> He's like, you think, whoa, he, was, he, he wasn't happy. <laughs> he was a bit stirred up. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he was still feeling what God felt. For his people and his house and his testimony. He was still feeling it. And he was still going to be part of the answer, which meant keeping everybody else on track. He was still determined, we're going to do it your way, Lord. We're going to keep your word. So let me get people back on track with your word and ways. You see, he effectively protected the agreement. And I think these days we live in, we need an agreement, an implicit agreement that says, we'll all protect the agreement we have. Let's protect the spirit of unity. Let's protect the cohesion. Now, what holds a church together? Jesus does. Colossians 1.17 says that in him, all things hold together. So it's his agenda, but it's also mutual submission. In Ephesians 5.21, it says that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If I submit to what God's doing in you, I revere, I respect what God's doing in you out of respect for Jesus. And as we look at one another, we have to say, isn't Jesus doing a good thing amongst us? Wow. Let's protect it. And sometimes that means I have to have a hard conversation. I have to say, guy, come on. I put a hand on someone's shoulder and say, that kind of language isn't really appropriate for us as believers. You know, keep working on it, buddy. Oh, you you to tell me what to do. These days, we all get feisty with each other because... And when we can't do it face to face, which most people can't, they just become a keyboard warrior. Before you know it, we've got all the social media nonsense going on. I urge you, have a simple spirit of Christ that says, I love this place. I love these people. And I agree. I bring my spirit of agreement to Craig and Deborah and the team with them. I bring my spirit of agreement to Brave Church. And I say... I want to feel what God feels for this place. I want to feel what God feels for the mission. <sighs> because I feel it, I'm going to be part of it. I want to get involved. How can I get involved? Have a conversation. Tell us. Talk to us. We'll help you find a way you can get involved. And I'm going to, as best I can as an individual, live by God's word and ways. And together we all agree we're going to live by God's word and ways. And we're going to commit to keeping each other on track. Those four simple things, I think, will keep us safe. They'll keep us moving forward. We all feel what God feels. We're all going to get involved in the building. We're going to respond to God's word as one, and we'll all protect the agreement.
funny what tumbles out. I've got to remind you of a building contract, isn't it? <laughs> I want to pray for you. And then the worship team could come up and I'll hand back to Craig. Let's just pray as we draw this to a close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the unifier. You are the one true God who bind us together in your love and make us fit vessels for your glory in these days. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us when we've, we've not felt it and we've done our own thing. Lord, when we've not got involved because we've had other ambitions and selfishness there. Lord, when we've not walked in your word and ways, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Lord, forgive us this day. Lord, help us to walk in your word and ways so that as we move forward into the next seasons of this great church, there'd be a strong sense of momentum and most of all, agreement and unity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.